Welcome to this special encore presentation of Heart to Heart with Anna. Today's show is from Season 5 and was Episode 11, A Mother's Miracle with Angela Gilbert. This is such a special show featuring a mother of a teen survivor of transposition of the great arteries. The theme for Season 5 was Miracles Do Happen, and I love how this show fit in with that theme. I chose this episode in honor of Mother's Day. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the fifth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Miracles Do Happen, and we have a great show today. Many mothers believe their babies are miracles, but few know that to be a fact, like mothers of children born with broken hearts. When mothers are told their unborn or newborn babies have something wrong with their hearts, the news is devastating. When mothers see their little ones fight for their lives and survive open-heart surgeries only to have difficulty feeding, gaining weight, and still looking blue, they may all but despair. Today's show will feature a mother who has seen all of that and more. Difficulty with feeding, feeding tubes, the fear that the heart defect may be genetic and thus worries over having a second child are all issues that our guest, Angela Gilbert, has faced head-on thanks to her son being born with transposition of the great arteries, or TGA. Today's show, A Mother's Miracle, features Angela Gilbert, the mother of a teenage survivor of transposition of the great arteries, also known as transposition of the great vessels, or TGA, or TGV. Angela Gilbert is the mother of two sons, 16-year-old Gary and 10-year-old Riley. Gary was born with a coarctation of the aorta and with transposition of the great arteries. He had his coarctation repaired and his TGA was corrected with an arterial switch operation. Although Gary was born with a critical congenital heart defect and he suffered many episodes of low oxygen early in his life, he has overcome many of the issues involved with that situation and is developmentally appropriate for his age. Maintaining an AB average, Gary is also an excellent lead guitar player who also loves fishing. Make sure you check out Angela's blog. It's her name, www.angelagilbert.com, and the title of her blog is It's Not a Boring Life, Christian Wife Mom, missionary in training. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Angela. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so happy to be talking with you today because my son was also born with TGA and a coartation and a bunch of other stuff too. And it's so exciting to see these kiddos become teenagers, young adults, and all of a sudden we're facing all of the other things that we never thought that we would have to face dealing with an adult child. Isn't it amazing? It is. It's incredible the journey that we've been on for 16 years now. Yeah, my son turns 21 next month, and it boggles my mind because we didn't think he would make it this far. And I know from reading your blog, it has been a miracle journey for you, too. So when did you discover that Gary had a heart defect, and what options were you given at that time? We didn't know ahead of time that Gary had any heart issues or any issues of any kind. So each time I was having a contraction, he would go into distress. They finally decided to do an emergency C-section, and when he came out, he had an umbilical cord tied in a true knot, and Ooh. his color was not good, and his crying was not good, and so they took him back to the NICU where they discovered that both of his lungs were deflated, and in the course of about 
two hours, they found the major heart defect. And then first thing the next morning, they had found the TGA. And at that time, they gave us the option of two different hospitals to transfer him to for surgery. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was pretty scary. First of all, for you to have that kind of birth situation, nobody expects to all of a sudden have to have an emergency C-section. But then on top of that, to have the umbilical cord in a knot, the lungs are deflated. Oh, my gosh, you must have just been beside yourself. Well, or maybe was, you were knocked out. <laughs> were you knocked out? For the I wasn't. I, I was. I was unfortunately awake and aware of all of these revelations as they came about. And the hardest thing was that I had to send my baby to another hospital, and I couldn't leave. Right, because you had just undergone surgery yourself. There's no way they were going to discharge you that quickly. So then your poor husband is torn. Do I stay with my wife? Do I go with the baby? And how far away were the hospitals that they were offering you to have the baby transported to? It was probably about a half an hour drive. So my husband and my mom would take turns going back and forth. And this was before we all had cell phones with cameras on them. And so they would go take pictures for me and stop at Walgreens and get them printed and bring them to me (laughs) so that I could even see what he looked like. Oh, my gosh. Did you even get to hold him at all? I finally convinced my doctor to discharge me the night before the first surgery, which was his coarctation repair. And he was three days old, and I was able to hold him for a very brief time that night. But at least you got to hold him. But you didn't get to hold him before they took him away. No, no, I didn't. It was very hard. Yeah, Yeah, that would be really traumatic. There were not very many times that we could hold him at all. So very briefly, we'd Mm -hmm. be able to hold him for maybe five minutes here, a minute there, just depending on how his body was responding to medications and the machines and everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's just heartbreaking, though. I mean, it's hard enough to go through a C-section. It's hard enough to become a mother for the first time. You're so scared, or at least I was, that I'd even survive mm-hmm. the experience yes. myself and know what to do. Even though I had been a professional teacher and I had worked with children and I love children, I thought, what if I'm a bad mother? And then when something like this happens, it just compounds your worries. It compounds your fear that you won't know what to do. And that's what's sure. really scary. Then if you can't even hold the baby for more than a couple of minutes at a time. Oh, that's so distressing. You poor thing. That must have just been awful. So it sounds like maybe the first miracle was the miracle of his birth, that he survived despite the umbilical cord being in a knot, despite the fact that his lungs were deflated. Was he a full-term baby? He was a full-term baby. And yes, that was his first miracle because his doctor told me that he had a 50% chance of just making it through that first night. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. So it's not uncommon for children who have to undergo open-heart surgery at a young age to have feeding problems. You finally made it through the surgery. It sounds like he had surgery really early, within the first days of life. And then did you try to nurse him? Did you try to breastfeed him? Or what did you do as far as feeding? Every day was different. I immediately started pumping after he was born, so I always had breast milk available for him. It was quite a bit of time before he was allowed to work hard enough to latch on and try to nurse. And then in post-op for his open heart surgeries, he had additional lung issues, but he was not mm-hmm. allowed to have breast milk. There's a fat in it that's incompatible with the fluid pocket that he had in his lungs. So during mm-hmm. that time, they would do feed him formula. And then maybe one day we'd get to try breast milk in a bottle, and then the next day we'd be back to tube feeding. <laughs> and so oh, for his wow. first month of life, it was just however it was easiest to get nutrition in him and easiest on him. 
mm-hmm. is how that was done. And when he came home, he was a month old, and they did send him home with an NG feeding tube. Mm. Okay, so here you are, first-time mom, <laughs> taking home this mm-hmm. open-heart surgery, and now you've got an NG tube. Do you have a medical background? No, I do not. Oh, my goodness. So now all of a sudden you're thrust into really a medical type of situation that you're living with on a daily basis. Was he a little devil? Did he pull that tube out? He did not pull the tube out. The very first day that we came home, the dog accidentally pulled the tube out. And that became the day that our dog became an outside dog, (laughs) as you can imagine. Oh, I can just imagine. You must have just been so upset. But I'm sure the dog is like, hey, what's this? I'll take it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The poor dog had no idea, but I was like, no, I can't deal with that. So you're out. No, you had enough to deal with. Oh, my gosh. You had enough to deal with. Wow. So did you have to take him back to the hospital to have it reinserted? They taught my husband how to do it, and my husband was awesome, and he had it back in within probably five minutes and testing it to make sure it was appropriately placed and everything. Wow. Wow. What a good guy. Wow. Yes. Were you crying on the couch? Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. And then we were like, oh, my gosh, take a picture. He doesn't have anything attached to his face. Aww. So I managed to grab a picture of him with no NG tube for the first time. Did you really? So he didn't have tape on his face still, even though he didn't have no, a tube? No, he didn't. <laughs> Everything got pulled off, huh? Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow, what an experience. So I don't know about your son, but with my son, because we did have so many feeding issues, he was labeled failure to thrive. Did Gary get that label too? Yes, he did. Don't you hate that? I just hated that label. Oh, it's it's very hard. So much. <laughs> very hard. Psychologically, it's so damaging. People don't realize, I don't think a lot of the doctors realize how damaging that can be to a mother's psyche. Failure to thrive. Mm-hmm. How about feeding impaired or <laughs> you know, sure. something like that that's not failure to thrive. It's just such a difficult thing to hear. So you had to deal with the feeding tube. Now, once you got him home, were you allowed to use breast milk or was it just too stressful for for you to try to keep pumping? I pumped and I nursed him and we tube fed him. So I oh was gosh. pretty much a machine. You, That's you, all I yeah, did. Really? <laughs> That's <laughs> all I did. I nursed him and then I would pump to see what else was left and then we would tube feed him to finish him up and it was pretty much like that for a year. For a year. Oh my goodness. So would he fall asleep while he was nursing on you because it took so much yeah. energy? See, that's what happened with Alex, too. It was partially that it took so much energy, but it was also he had a lot of sensory integration problems, and so everything distracted him from breastfeeding. So I had to be in a quiet, dark room. There couldn't be any music. There couldn't be anybody knocking on the door. No dogs. There couldn't be a picture on the wall that he would be more interested in looking at. We had to be at home. He would not nurse anywhere else. It was a very trying situation, and we just tried as long as we could to not have to Mm -hmm. use a feeding tube. Well, I can imagine that. So it's hard to see your baby have to have all this extra apparatus on them, as if we don't have enough looking at the baby's scars every time we give them a bath. But having to deal with that feeding tube, I've talked to other parents, and they've told me that when they got rid of that tube, it's like they got a new lease on life. It just was amazing how much that, especially if you have to use a kangaroo pump too, how much Mm -hmm. it tethered them. It tethered them to their home because to carry all of that apparatus out, first of all, there are all the people staring and asking you what's wrong and what happened. It's very uncomfortable. It is. So for a full year, it sounds like you were really struggling. Once he was a year old, had he kind of caught up to where he needed to be? 
He had not. When he was a year old, we finally took him to a inpatient feeding clinic in Pittsburgh for two weeks and did some behavioral feeding therapy. And when he came home from that, he was able to sit down and have a reasonable, still on the small side, but a somewhat reasonable meal. And okay. what we discovered shortly after that is that the reason he, part of the reason he had not been eating was he had severe reflux. So when he would eat a reasonable amount of food, he would vomit it out. Uh-huh. And we worked with that for a really long time until he was again mm-hmm. labeled failure to thrive at two and a half years old. Oh, my goodness, you poor thing. That must have been so difficult. So were the feeding issues the most difficult issues you had to deal with for Gary in the early years of his life? Absolutely. That's all I did for five years was make sure he had food in him. Wow. People have no idea. No, they don't. (laughs) It can be. And you watch your baby, and your baby's six months old, and he's still wearing three-month-old clothes or Uh or even younger, and it just breaks your heart to see that they're not growing and they don't have Uh those pinchable cheeks. I remember after Alex's open-heart surgery, before that he was labeled failure to thrive, and he kept falling asleep. He couldn't seem to nurse, and three months later... He had pinchable cheeks. And I remember Mm -hmm. looking at some photos of him and tears coming to my eyes because I thought, wow, I was so afraid. They called him emaciated in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I was so afraid that for the rest of his life, he would just be this tiny little man. And I was so happy when all of a sudden he looked like a baby. Because I don't know about Gary, but when Alex was in the hospital, the nurses would say he looked like an old soul. And mm-hmm, he, yes. he looked like a little old man in a baby's body. <laughs> it was the mm-hmm. strangest thing. But he certainly didn't look like the robust baby that I was expecting to see, considering how long I fantasized about what he would look like when he came out. And considering I'd already had a healthy child. Sure. For you, this was your first child, so you were kind of learning about motherhood with this child who had this broken heart. So the feeding issues definitely sounded like they were the most difficult thing for you to deal with for the first five years. I can't even imagine going through that for five years. When did you finally start feeling like, hey, he can feed himself. I don't have to worry about what he's eating. How old was he? We had a goal to send him to kindergarten without a feeding tube. So when he was two and a half and labeled failure to thrive, they did surgery for his reflex and put in a G-tube. So that's how we were supplementing his feeding for those two and a half years. And when he was close to five, we went to another inpatient feeding program and weaned him off of the feeding tube except a short drip at night. And by the time he went to kindergarten, we had removed the tube and we were no longer using it. Wow, that was a really long journey for you. It was. And you start with the NG tube, and then you go to the G tube, and using it continuously, and then just at night, that's a long, long journey. So it sounds like, though, that there were some miracles along the way. Just his birth, I think, was a miracle that he survived that birth, and that he made it to five. Because when you're dealing with a kid who has all of these issues, what was so scary for us was, while they were still labeling Alex failure to thrive, and before he had pinchable cheeks, he had no reserves. So if he would get sick it would be so much more difficult for him to get over it. Did Gary ever have to be hospitalized because of RSV or some other kind of normal illness? Yes, he did get RSV and once a severe stomach virus. And of course, just Mm. with him not taking in enough, he was never quite hydrated. So Mm -hmm. of course, we had to hydrate him. But even just as far as weight loss, he would just lose weight so fast. Right. 
Right. And that's what's really scary. If they're vomiting because they're sick or they're sleeping a lot because they're sick, then they can't be Mm -hmm. eating while they're sleeping unless you'd have the tube in them. Like it sounds like you were able to do some continuous feeds, but if they're still Mm -hmm. getting sick with diarrhea or vomiting, you're losing everything that you're putting in. So then that's when the weight loss can be such a problem. Well, this first segment has seemed really scary. But I know it's going to get better. So everybody stay tuned. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but don't leave yet because when we come back, we're going to talk to Angela about some other miracles that she has witnessed along the way, and we'll get to hear more about Gary growing up. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show, A Mother's Miracle, features Angela Gilbert, the mother of a teenage survivor of transposition of the great arteries. We just finished talking with Angela about the first five years of Gary's life and the difficulties she experienced with his birth and then subsequently with his feeding issues and the trouble that she had with sensory issues as well. And Angela, I've talked to some other people on some other shows about their children having oral aversion, and some other sensory issues that just made feeding that much more difficult. So I appreciate you talking about that a little bit today and giving people hope that it can get better. Absolutely. We went all in on therapy, and it has made the world a difference in his life. Yeah. Well, and we're lucky that we live in a day and age where those therapies are available, and there are more and more hospitals that have feeding clinics that have specialists who know exactly what it is that you're having to deal with. Whereas when you and I were kids, nobody ever heard about these kinds of things, or at least I never heard about this kind of stuff. I never knew of kids who had NG tubes or G tubes. It just wasn't part of popular knowledge. So this season, our show is all about miracles. I've had so much fun. And you're episode 11. I only have two more shows after this, and I'm going to be sad to see it go. But it has been so much fun to talk about all of the miracles that have happened in the heart world. So tell us what you feel Gary's greatest miracles have been. Definitely being born in a country and in a place where he has perfect, awesome medical care that he had access to just right away. Gary's surgeon was renowned across the world for the arterial switch operation, and he lived right in our town. Gary's life was saved again in the ambulance on the way to the other hospital. They had to work on him for about 45 minutes before they could even transport him inside, just in the parking lot. Just so many times that God's hand was all over his life. Uh, Another one that his... His surgeon prayed with everybody before his surgeries in the room. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. I know not everybody would feel comfortable with that, but being a Christian myself, it makes me feel good to know that there are surgeons out there who know that they will do the best job that they can, but that ultimately it's up to God. And asking for God's intervention just makes me feel like, okay, we're all working as a team. (laughs) We need that God element in our team. (laughs) Don't you think so, Angela? Oh, absolutely. And when we went back to follow up and and thanked Dr. Nakaito for the work that he did on Gary's heart, he gave all the glory to God. 
Oh, wow. What a humble surgeon. And yes, Dr. Nishido's name is very well known, and he even has a procedure named after him. So that's pretty cool to establish your son's doctor. Wow, that's awesome. Yes, that's amazing. That is a miracle, then, that he just happened to be in your town and that they were able to save him in a parking lot in the ambulance. How scary is that? Yes. Wow. Amazing. Well, what I love about your blog is all the pictures that you have. You have so many fabulous photos of your son doing all different kinds of things, and it's very (laughs) uplifting. I just absolutely love it. It's so much fun. So everybody needs to check out your blog, AngelaGilbert.com. You won't be disappointed. It's a really, really neat blog. So it can be so scary for us parents when we have a child with a heart defect, when we consider, do we want to have another child? I know that my son's doctors said that they didn't think he would survive the surgery, and they actually told me to get pregnant. They told me Uh that I should have another child. At the time, I wasn't even thinking about it possibly being genetic, but I know that a lot of people worry about that today. Tell us about what you went through. I mean, it sounds like the first five years of Gary's life, you were so invested in just helping this boy to survive. Probably having another baby was the last thing on your mind. But why don't you take us through what was on your mind? Sure. We had always planned on having at least two children, and we had our perfect little plan that they were going to be a couple years apart, or maybe they were going to be twins on that first pregnancy, and we'd just be done, and that'd be great. And thank goodness there were not two babies (laughs) born that day. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it was a long time before we started thinking about and talking about if we wanted to have another child. And ultimately, we chose yes, and partially because we wanted Gary to have that experience. We wanted Gary to experience having a sibling. We wanted Gary to realize that even though the entire world, as far as he was concerned, had revolved around him to that point, (laughs) that it wasn't always going to. And that there were other people out there and that there were relationships for him to have. And we did just end up waiting until we were confident that Gary was going to be okay. We were confident Mm -hmm. that he was going to be able to come off of the feeding tube. And, Mm -hmm. And after having genetic testing to make sure that his issues were not genetic. So you did go through with genetic testing before you decided to have another child. Did Gary ever ask for a little brother or a little sister? No, I think, honestly, it just really never crossed his mind that much. It was always me and him. We were always kind of home or in doctor's offices. There wasn't a lot of socializing with other kids who had younger brothers and sisters. So I don't think that it really crossed his mind until that point. Hmm. Well, Joey kept begging me <laughs> for our really? brother, but Joey's my older heart-healthy child, and Alex didn't. It's interesting, and maybe hmm. it's because of what you were talking about, how the world did kind of revolve around Alex for a while, just like what you're yeah. saying, because we dealt with two open-heart surgeries in his first year of life, mm-hmm. and that was a lot to deal with. And then, of course, the recovery time. It's yeah. quite a while before these kids can recover to where they can act like a quote-unquote normal child. So, yeah. yeah, when he did get a little older because I homeschooled my kids and we were around other families who had multiple children. He asked me if we were going to have any more children, but just like you and your husband, we knew from the beginning that we wanted two children. And that's why mm-hmm. when the doctor said to me, oh, well, you should get pregnant right away, I said, well, I have my two children. That's what I always planned on having, and nothing's mm-hmm. allowed to happen to Alex. <laughs> we have to fix him. Right. <laughs> it was just unfathomable to me that something could happen to Alex, but Wow, it sounds like you've had so many miracles happen, and the fact that it wasn't genetically caused, what a blessing that is. And so I'm assuming that Riley is heart healthy. Riley is heart healthy and healthy in every other way. 
Well, that's a true blessing, and that in and of itself is a miracle as well. But we need to take another quick commercial break. Don't leave yet, listeners, because when we come back, we're going to talk to Angela about what advice she has for other parents of children with transposition of the great arteries and feeding issues. So don't leave. We'll be right back. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show, A Mother's Miracle, features Angela Gilbert, the mother of a teenage survivor of transposition of the great arteries. Angela, it has been so much fun having you on the show today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Well, we can't leave yet. We have to find out what advice would you give to a couple who has just discovered that their baby is going to be born with TGA? I have three things that I would recommend, and one of those would be to to educate yourself as much as possible about your baby's condition, about Mm -hmm. what to expect, about surgeries that might be required, and to do your research on doctors in your area so that you can make Mm -hmm. good decisions for your child. Second, I would encourage them to learn to be the very best advocate for their baby. Mm -hmm. You are the person who knows the baby the best. Even when you're in the hospital, those doctors might see them for 10 minutes at a time or that therapist might be in there for 20 minutes, but you're the one that can see the big picture, and it's your responsibility Mm -hmm. to make sure that the care team knows what you're seeing. And don't be afraid to stand up for your baby. There were many times with Gary where I had to be the one to say, look, I don't think this is right. And Mm -hmm. it would be checked out. And sure enough, because I was the mom, you're invested enough to do those things. And so make sure to do that for yourself. And third, Mm -hmm. I would say to surround yourself with a group of people who you know you can count on. You're going to need family. You're going to need friends. You're going to need your church. You're going to need community to help you Mm -hmm. with meals laundry and hold your head up when you're crying and take things back and forth to the hospital. So make sure that you get that team together and ready before your baby's born. Oh, don't I wish and don't you wish we had known beforehand in some ways? We were caught totally off guard. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea. I didn't have time to assemble a team. I didn't have time to do any research. I had never heard of my son's heart defect. (laughs) It was so scary. So I totally agree with everything you said, especially the part about being your child's advocate and trust your mother's instincts. We Mm -hmm. moms have instincts from having carried these babies that nobody else has. And if something feels wrong, trust your gut. There probably is something wrong. What advice would you give to a family who's dealing with feeding issues like you have in the past, especially with the feeding tubes? Really to just invest in what it's going to take to help your child to progress. If it means you need to go out of state for a feeding program, you'll find a way to pay for it. You'll find a way to take care of your other kids. It's worth it. Go Mm -hmm. to where somebody knows how to deal with your child's issues. And Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to beg for it, to fight with your insurance company for it, to ask about free flights for people that will do that for you and to keep up with your therapy at home. Do everything that they're telling you to do constantly. Mm-hmm. And the more you work and push and push, the faster you'll see progress. 
I did a show just on feeding issues, so for those of you listeners who are dealing with that, please look back in the Blog Talk radio shows, but we did have one just devoted to feeding issues. Now there are clinics that are online. You can get online help, so it's not like you even have to get on a plane and travel wow, to certain amazing. places. Isn't it amazing? I just that's I love amazing. the fact that there's so much help available, and there are also support groups on Facebook. Yes. Absolutely. It's amazing where you can find help. So I like that advice and reaching out to others. You don't have to go through this alone. I know it feels lonely, but you don't have to go through it alone. So we only have a minute left. Tell me what the single most important piece of advice is that you can give to the parents of a child born with a heart defect. Find something to enjoy every single day with your child every day Mm -hmm. to be thankful, to be present in the moment that you get to have a miracle, this special gift that God gave to you. And so find a way every single day to enjoy your child. I just love that. What we used to do is we would sing our night-night song <laughs> in the hospital. <laughs> when Alex was extubated, we didn't want to bring Joey up and scare him because he was three. Mm-hmm. We didn't want him to see Alex with the tubes in. Mm-hmm. But as soon as Alex was extubated, we brought Joey up, and we would have dinner together as a family and mm-hmm. came back and sang the night-night song. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. we read a book together as a family, and then Frank would stay the night with Alex and I would take Joey back to my mom's house for us to get some rest before we had to start the whole process all over again. But I love that advice. Having routines, I think, is really important. But the most important thing is finding something that you treasure, something that you enjoy. It may just be a song. It may just be a little book. It may just be giving them a kiss on the cheek or on their forehead, depending where all the tubes and machines are that are attached to our children. But yeah, I love that. We do need to appreciate every day. And I think as heart moms, we know that better than anybody. We aren't guaranteed how much time we have with our children, so we need to treasure every moment. Absolutely. I just love all of your advice. I think everything was spot on. Thank you again, Angela, for coming on the show. I just absolutely loved this, and I'm so happy that Gary is doing well. I hope everyone checks out the Blog Talk Radio slideshow because I am going to have a chance to feature this young fisherman with these big fish. Pretty impressive. The fish that this young man has caught and a whole bunch of other photos. You're not going to want to miss it. He definitely has had a life worth celebrating. And thank you for sharing his life with us, Angela. Thank you, Anna. So that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern Time. Until then, please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique. You might want to get a magnet for your car. I have one. We have two different ones available in the store, and it makes my so much easier to spot in the parking lot because since it's a magnet, it's up higher. It's not a bumper sticker. So if you could do that, it's just a few dollars, but it does help to the cost of the radio show and follow our radio show. We're on Spreaker, we're on Blog Talk Radio, we're even on YouTube. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. I hope you enjoyed this encore presentation. We are taking most of the month of May 2016 off to have a little vacation and to prepare for season eight of Heart to Heart with Anna. Heart to Heart with Anna is the only talk radio show devoted to the congenital heart defect community, and we've been airing episodes since 2013. Every Tuesday in May, except for May 31st, we will be airing a special Encore presentation. And on May 31st, 2016, we will begin Season 8. 
of the show. Our theme for Season 8 will be Care for Adults with Congenital Heart Defects. We hope that you enjoyed this special Encore presentation and that you'll come back next week for another special show. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. Music.